Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at thecrossing.cc. How y'all doing? You doing real good? I'm delighted to hear that. I'm doing real good too. Before we go any further, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, follow me as you see me follow Christ. Right now, I want us all to recognize our senior pastor because we can follow him because he is following Christ. Pastor Randy, I see you, all of us. Let's give our senior pastor a great big hand. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, Deb and I got back from vacation uh, Wednesday and Thursday and we were in Pensacola Beach. What do y'all think about my tan? Yeah, that's what I thought too. That's what I thought too. You know, I always give an update about what's going on in our life. You know, last year was, well, it sucked. And uh, I said that on. Yeah, I did. My son's going, Dad, don't ever tell me not to use that word again. So anyway, so we're on vacation, and we've just gotten kind of used to when we're on vacation, sometimes we have to make a trip to the emergency room because Debbie is in treatment. And so she was having burning sensations under her her sternum. I thought it was all the good food I was feeding her. And she was having a stabbing pain in her side. And so we went to Baptist Hospital. And uh, they just ran all kinds of tests. And so we were sitting in the room, and the doctor came in. And it's real clear he wasn't aware that she had been diagnosed with what she had been diagnosed with. So he was kind of tentative. And he said, he said, it looks like in your side down here, in your lungs, looks like you have some inflammation. Looks like, you know, you get inflammation because something is fighting something. And we said, oh, thank God, that's good. And he said, what do you mean? He says, well, she was diagnosed with cancer. And the fact that her body is fighting, it was inflamed because her body was destroying it. Is that not good news? We had a party. He was nervous when he walked in there because he thought it was going to have to give us some bad news. We said, no, this is good news. All right. The vision of the Crossing Church, to see every person restored to God and to the life that God created for them to live. The mission of the cross. So, by the way, y'all know I like participation. So, you know, if y'all, you know, something, I'm going to give you an opportunity. There you go. The mission of the Crossing Church is to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. When Pastor Ray, oh, by the way, I'm going to be reading because uh, I had, when Pastor Ryan and I talked about this literally six weeks ago, I, start, I get my phone and I start making notes. God says, say this, say this, say this. So I put him in my phone and I put him in order and I have my sermon. So I'm driving back from Pensacola. I talked to my daughter and I'm going to talk about that later. And it wrecked me. It just wrecked me. So when I get back, God said, what I told you before, that was for you. Now this is what I want for my people. So yes, Friday, I sat down and I wrote. So I'm going to be reading a lot, not because, well, it's because if I try to memorize it, my brain will explode. You know what I'm saying? So when Pastor Randy asked me if I had something to share with you guys, I told him that the Lord had been dealing with me about something, and I'll talk about that, and I thought it would fit right in with his sermon series, 
salt, and light. We are supposed to be salt and light, right? Like Debbie and I, we're salt and light. Okay, all right. Was that funny? Yeah, okay. okay. But before I get started, I always like to start with two of my favorite scriptures. So fellows, if you would put up 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Now what you guys are gonna notice is normally I put up all my scriptures in the Amplified Classic Bible, right? Well, Debbie's Bible study's been doing the Passion Translation, so I decided to pick it up and start reading it, and I thought, I think I'll try this. And then Lord said, I want you to change all of your scriptures to the Passion Translation. And I said, really? And he said, he said yeah. And I said, okay. So that's obedience. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. The word of God will lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Isn't that good? The word of God will help you get prepared so that you can fulfill any assignment that God gives you. My second favorite scripture, again, this is, as I think about how I'm growing in the Lord and how I'm needing to continue growing, is Hebrews 4.12. Fellas, put that up. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the thoughts and secret motives of our heart. That's when I read, you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you, right? All right, okay. So if you're all in agreement that this is truth and we're gonna do what the Bible says, I want everybody to wave your hand. Okay, we're gonna all do what the Bible says, right? Good, good. A Sunday school teacher had been sharing with her students what the Bible had to say about God's forgiveness. She then asked the kids, what do you have to do to be forgiven by God? A little boy answered, duh, that's easy. You need to sin. (laughs) Smart little boy. This morning, I'd like to talk about the importance of forgiveness and its direct tie to part of our mission, and that is to find freedom. One of the ways that we find freedom is to learn to live a lifestyle of forgiveness because it's one of the essential parts of the good news. We are totally forgiven and our debt has been completely paid. So if you're thinking ahead and asking yourself, is Pastor Reggie going to ask me to forgive somebody at the end of this sermon? You are thinking clearly and you are thinking correctly. And for those of you who believe that you have dealt with all the unforgiveness issues in your life, I just ask you to hang in there with the Holy Spirit and me, and let's see what he wants to do today. The word forgive, the verb, is used in the Bible 54 times. This is the King James Version. It's 26 times in the Old Testament and 20, no, 28 times in the Old Testament, 26 times in the New Testament. 19 of the 26 times that it's used in the New Testament, it's used by Jesus. You probably didn't know that. 19 of the 26 times that Jesus uses the word forgive is in the New Testament. The word forgiven 
The noun, which is the state of being, we're forgiven, is used 42 times in the Bible, 18 times in the Old Testament, 24 times in the New Testament. 18 of the times that it's used in the New Testament, 18 of the 24, it's used by Jesus. Apparently, Jesus thought these words, forgive and forgiveness, are important. C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is such a wonderful concept until you actually need to forgive somebody. <laughs> Watchman Nee said, more ground is gained in the lives of believers by the enemy of our soul through unforgiveness than any other way. Listen to this survey of Christians. 75% felt that they had been forgiven by God. 75%. Is that an issue? They're Christians. They've accepted a relationship with Jesus and they don't feel like they've been forgiven by God. Only 52% of them said they had forgiven others. Is this a problem? I know nobody else in here struggles with unforgiveness, right? I am the only one. Don't say yes, you are. Yeah, okay. When we think about pain, other than sickness or injury, all of our pain is relational. It comes from people. That is why. Why is that? Because the enemy of our soul wants us divided because the more divided we are, the less power we have. The Bible says in both Matthew 18, 19 and John 15, 7, that agreement is the place of power. And it's hard to be in agreement with somebody that you're fussing with or you're mad at or you're angry with or they did you wrong. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. One of his main weapons is to sow strife and disunity amongst people, especially God's people. Therefore, many people in the world, some who have come from the church, think the church is a joke. Why? Because we just can't seem to get along. There's that element of disunity. The disciples even argued about who would be the greatest in front of Jesus. How did they do that? How did they do that? I mean, they're talking in front of God and arguing about who's the greatest. I read a bunch of articles in prepping for this. Two of them were by prestigious, prestigious medical organizations, John Hopkins Hospital and the Mayo Clinic. John Hopkins is in Baltimore, the Mayo Clinic is in Cleveland, because I wanted to see if the medical profession was talking about forgiveness. Here are the two articles that I lifted the title from. This is from John Hopkins. Forgiveness, your health depends on it. This is the Mayo Clinic. Forgiveness, letting go of grudges and bitterness. Here's a paragraph from Karen Swartz. She's a, a medical doctor. She's also the director of the Mood Disorders Adult Consultation Clinic at the John Hopkins Hospital. She reports, whether it's a simple spat with your spouse, any of, any of y'all have any of those? I know I don't, because my baby is perfect. So whether it's a simple spat with your spouse or a long-held resentment toward a family member or friend, Unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards in your health. 
lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. Research points to an increase in this forgiveness, health, connection as you age. So my next birthday, I am eligible for Medicare. I better pay attention to this, right? There was another survey on people and their medication. People who indicated they struggled with resentment and unforgiveness took 25% more medication than people who were forgiving and unresentful. 25% more. The medical profession is now saying that what God has been saying from the very beginning makes a difference. There's a parable in scripture that gives the basis for the articles, these two articles by John Hopkins in the Mayo Clinic. It's the parable of the unforgiving servant found in Matthew 8, 21 through 35. Now, I'm gonna read it to you. I'm not gonna put it up on the screen because it's a story. And uh, I want you to listen to the story. Later, Peter approached Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me? Seven times. By the way, listen, it was his fellow believer. It wasn't one of them people out there in the world. It was one of us people in here. How many times do I need to forgive him? Seven times, Jesus answered, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. The lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. And then he told the parable. There was once a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasury. He decided to settle accounts with each one of them. As he began the process, it came to his attention that one of the servants owed him $1 billion. That's B, billion with a B. That in those days, it was 10,000 talents of gold, which today is worth about a billion dollars. So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, pay me what you owe me. When the servant was unable to pay, I want you to remember that. The servant was unable to pay. The king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every possession that they owned as payment toward his debt. Now, I know that some of you have wives or children that you would sell, you know, so you could get rid of a debt, but that's not a good thing. Okay, so it's not a good thing. The servant threw himself down at his master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be patient with me. Just give me more time and I will repay you all that I owe. Upon hearing his pleas, the king had compassion on his servant and released him and forgave his entire debt. Now, does that sound like anybody that we know? Am I? Can you still hear me? Okay. Does that sound like anybody we know? We can't pay. Our heavenly father pays the debt, forgives the debt. That's the first part of the parable. No sooner had the servant left when he met one of his fellow servants who owed him $20,000, a billion versus 20,000. He seized him by the throat and began to choke him saying, you better pay me right now everything that you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at his feet and begged, please be patient with me. If you'll just give me time, I will pay. I will repay all that you need. The first guy couldn't pay this guy just needed more time. See the difference? But the one who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison and demanded he remain there until 
he could repay the debt in full. Now, the first guy's kind of stupid anyways, because, you know, you're not getting much money out of somebody's in prison. But that's what he said. Then Jesus went on to say, in this same way, my heavenly Father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart towards your fellow believer. So the way that God kind of downloaded this sermon to me is he asked me a series of questions. I don't know about y'all. When God asks you questions, do you get nervous? Yeah, I know. I get real nervous. He says, so do you rehearse the wrongs or do you release the wrongs? Hmm. To forgive means to surrender our right to get even. It means we leave it in God's hands. That's Romans 12, 19. The difference between bitter and better are the vowels I and E. The I in bitter centers on I, me, self, what I want to do. If there's bitterness, the Bible says in Romans 12, 15, the root of bitterness causes trouble, and by that root, many are defiled or corrupted. Bitterness destroys relationships, it destroys families, it destroys just about anything. The E in better centers on Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God. We are better when we leave it up to God and what he wants to do. You see the difference? Do we want to be bitter or do we want to be better? Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of bitterness and resentment. So let's examine what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. First, what did Jesus have to say about forgiveness? In Matthew 6, 12, up on the screen, it says, Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Y'all remember that as a part of a prayer. And when you pray, make sure, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you. Okay? Everybody got that? Well, let's see what else he says. In Mark 11, 25, 26, fellas, put that up. And whenever you stand praying, praying, my goodness, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him and forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also release you and forgive you of your faults. But if you will not release forgiveness, don't expect your Father in heaven to release you from your misdeeds. Huh, Jesus said that. What did he say in Luke 6, 37? I love this part. Jesus said, forsake. That means turn away from. That means don't do it again. Forsake the habit of criticizing and judging others. And then you will not be criticized and judged in return. Don't look at others and pronounce them guilty. And you will not experience, and you will not experience guilty accusations yourself. Forgive over and over, and you will be forgiven over and over. He says, forsake the habit of criticizing and judging. Anybody judge anybody lately? Have you criticized anybody lately? No, honey, I have not criticized you today because we haven't talked. Yeah, okay. Luke 17, four. No matter how many times in one day your brother sins against you and says, I'm sorry, I am changing, forgive me, 
you need to forgive him each and every time. What did Paul say about forgiveness? This is Ephesians 4, 30 through 32. I'm just gonna read this one, the next two. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted his holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Colossians 3.13 says, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Tolerate them. Forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. If you find fault, and we know we're all gonna find fault because we're all imperfect, it says release the same gift of forgiveness to him. God has given us a mandate regarding forgiveness in his word. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. So, Jesus tells us to forgive. Does Jesus tell us how to walk out forgiveness? So, this is the question that God asked me. He said, Reggie, he said, so you're a good forgiver, right? And I go, yes, I am, Lord. Yes, I am. He said, are you walking out forgiveness? And I said, well, of course I am. He said, well, let's go see what my son said about that. I hate it when he says that. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Put that up, fellas. However, Jesus says, however, I say to you, this is right after, you know, you've heard it said it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If they punch you, punch them back, all that kind of stuff. Right before this, that's what they were talking about. Jesus says, however, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you and do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. And that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. Think about that. How we act identifies us. It identifies us. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and the rainfall to refresh whether a person does what is good or evil. Luke 6, 27 through 28. Fellas, put that up. Okay. But if you will listen, I say to you, Love your enemies and do something wonderful in return for their hatred. That's what Jesus said. Do something wonderful for them. I was ready to close the book. <laughs> when someone curses you, bless that person in return. When you are mistreated and harassed by others, accept it as your mission to pray for them. Y'all realize, Jesus gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants people reconciled to him. How does, how does that happen? Hands and feet of people who love Jesus. When we don't forgive, we block reconciliation. When we don't forgive, we block reconciliation. Paul said it this way. So I, God said, okay, so I know Jesus is my son. 
Uh, so, you know, you always give him a, an out because, you know, he's my son, he's God. So let's go sit, figure out what Paul said. Paul said it this way. This is Romans 8, Romans 12, 13, 18 through 21. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice. For the scriptures say, if you don't take justice in your own hands, I, God, will release justice for you, says the Lord. And if, you're in, if your enemy is hungry, I love this, buy him lunch. Now, y'all know I like to eat. I haven't been thinking about taking any of my enemies to lunch. Paul said, if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness. For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience, and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. That's what Paul said. So, the next question that God asked me was, are you loving your enemies? I said, are you praying for your enemies? I don't think so. Are you treating your enemies well? I don't think so. Uh, are you taking them to lunch? Oh, heck no. <laughs> it was clear I had some work to do. I heard, I heard Joyce Meyer say that people who keep coming to the altar to be prayed about for the unforgiveness that they are carrying, but when they won't do what God commands them to do about their unforgiveness, people keep coming to the altar to be prayed about this but they won't follow God's instructions. Do you see a conflict there? She then put it this other way. Are you in a dating relationship with God, showing up on Sundays, or are you married to God, and do you hang out with him constantly? Are you in a dating relationship with God? Now, please, this is to bring conviction. Because all of us need to get a little bit better. Pastor Randy says it all the time. But we don't need to be dating God. We need to be married to him. You know what happened when Debbie married me? She got my name. When we marry God, we get his name and all of his benefits. Let's stop dating. Let's marry. God's love language is obedience. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's very, very clear. If you love me, keep my commandments. The next question that God put on the table went something like this. Reggie, have you totally forgiven so-and-so? So-and-so was person X. I'm going to talk about person X later. And I said, well, God, how do I know if I've totally forgiven that person? And he said, the key is in scripture. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And of course, many of them say, well, that was Jesus. He was God. Well then, how do you explain what Stephen did in Acts 7, 60, when they were stoning him to death and he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What about Joseph and his brothers? They sold him into slavery. They thought he was going to get killed. Or what about Joseph and the butler? 
You know, the one that left him in prison and forgot about him? Or what about Joseph and Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar? She was the one that accused him of rape. Or what about Moses and his sister Miriam and brother Aaron? Now, you know what happened in this story. Uh, Moses married a black woman. He was not PC. Now, you know, I had a problem with that. Miriam and Aaron started giving him a whole bunch of grief. So you know what happened to Miriam, right? She got leprosy. What did Moses do? He forgave her and he prayed for her. He intervened for her and she was miraculously healed. That's what Moses did when he was getting hassled by his brothers and sisters. Or how about Moses and the, and the Hebrews when he took them out of Egypt? They got out of Egypt and he said, Moses, why did you bring us out here to be killed? I mean, they... Wah, 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 wah. I mean, the manna was no good. I mean, I think about manna and quail. Like, I don't know what manna is, but they liked it. They ate it every day, so it must be pretty good. And quail, if you barbecue some quail, stuff it with some bacon, whew, Lord have mercy. It's good stuff. <laughs> or what about David and King Saul? Saul tried to kill David. David actually had a chance to kill Saul in the cave of Abdullah. David was way in the back. Saul came into the front, and he, he and his guys fell asleep. And Saul's right-hand man said, at last the Lord has delivered Saul into our hands. And David said, don't do anything. What they did is they snuck up to Saul. They cut off a piece of his clothes. And then later, the next day, when they were apart, he, he waved the clothes like this. Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody's trying to kill me, if I get a chance to kill them, I shouldn't have said that either, should I? <laughs> okay. So apparently, in the worst situations, it is possible to forgive and to do good unto them, as Scripture tells us. So God next asked me, can, Reggie, can you learn to be more forgiving? And I said, I know the answer is Yes. <laughs> And this is what he told me to write down. Faith is a step that you take that makes no sense. Faith in forgiving makes no sense. Nowhere else does this show up greater than in the area of forgiveness. Here's another statement from Dr. Swartz at John Hopkins. Forgiveness is not just about saying the words. This is a medical doctor. We don't know if she's a believer. Forgiveness is not, is not just saying the words. It's an active process in which you make a conscious decision to let go of negative feelings, whether the person deserves it or not. If you release the anger, resentment, and hostility, you, you begin to feel empathy, compassion, and sometimes even affection for the person who wronged you. Studies have shown that some people are just naturally more forgiving. Naturally, for me, that's Christians, because we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Consequently, they tend to be more satisfied with their lives and have less depression, anxiety, stress, anger, and hostility. There was a survey by the Fetzer Institute. It's a nonprofit. It said 62% of American adults say they need more forgiveness in their personal lives. I think that a lot of people were lying. I think it's a much higher number. Many, 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 many people, most of us need forgiveness in our lives. <clears throat> there is a great danger in keeping score or becoming an injustice collector when paired with a critical spirit and an unwillingness to forgive, torment and a lack of peace 
and unhealthy relationships become the fruit of these attitudes. The capacity to make new friends is limited, and walls become the landscape of one's life. These walls keep us in and others out, including the Holy Spirit. They set themselves up as strongholds, which can only be broken down or destroyed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12.1. We are not conformed to this world, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So it's the renewing of our minds and the enablement of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us in Philippians 4, Julian talked about that earlier, that it is the peace of God which garrisons our mind and guards our heart. Any other form of protection, like unforgiveness, bitterness, garrisons and mounts guard in a way that causes great damage to us and to those around us. Another example of this is when we collect injustices done to those we love, especially our spouses and our children. If not forgiven, this causes us to nurse a grudge against the offending party, which if not taken care of becomes resentment. And if resentment is nursed, it becomes bitterness. And through a root of bitterness, lots of things are messed up. I'd like to share with you how this applies to me. While I was driving back from Pensacola and needed to talk to Jacqueline, our daughter, about whether I could share an event from her life that deeply affected her and us, we both started crying as we realized that we had not completely followed Jesus' command. So I'm going to read a story to you. In 2013, when our daughter was 34 years old, she told Debbie and I about some sexual abuse that had happened to her when she was a little girl. When Debbie would go visit family, one of the family members molested Jacqueline with no one's knowledge. This occurred for years. Fast forward almost 25 years. And Jacqueline was looking at Debbie's phone to read a text that Madison, our granddaughter, had sent to Debbie. She accidentally saw a text from another family member saying that this person had sexually assaulted her daughter. This gave Jacqueline the courage to come tell us. From that point on, it was four years until we sat in a courtroom to see the offender go on trial. There were two other trips to the city where he lived to start trial, but his attorney would come up with a delay tactic after we had traveled to the city. It was maddening, and it was crushing. We learned that there were at least six other victims, and four of them were also family members. It had gone on for decades. His family members urged us to forgive and forget and just go on like nothing had happened. Just be good Christians like they were. And by the way, they knew he was a predator because two of his early victims, who were cousins, told their parents after it happened. The parents confronted the man and told his wife, his mother-in-law, his father-in-law about what happened. They never went to the police, but this caused a huge split in the family. No one ever told 
No one ever told Debbie, so she could not protect Jacqueline. They never told anybody. As a result, five more young girls were assaulted, including Jacqueline. In 2017, after two failed attempts, the man was finally brought to trial and through a plea bargain admitted his crimes and is now in prison. I don't think he wanted to go through a trial because he didn't want to put his wife and his daughters and the rest of his immediate family through the shame of a trial. You are probably wondering, have I forgiven him? This brings me to the call with Jacqueline. This past Thursday, as I was driving back from vacation, I had said the words, I forgive him. But it was just going through the Christian emotions. As we read, Jesus asked me to pray for him. Right there in the car, I began to pray. God, give him gigantic hemorrhoids. Okay, that's not what I prayed, but I, I needed to take a break. <laughs> right there in the car, I began to sincerely pray for this man and his family that had so betrayed my wife and my daughter. But it took getting ready for this message to remind me of the incredibly great price Jesus paid for my sins and his willingness to forgive me as he continues to forgive me. I was at church yesterday and Dr. Jim Tucker was here. We had this conversation and this is something he said to me. If you are demanding justice from someone else's life, you should not expect to receive mercy for yours. If you're demanding justice, you shouldn't expect to receive mercy. We also, talk, we also talked about the scripture in John 20, 23, where Jesus says, I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. God's heart is to forgive. I had another thought while I was talking to Dr. Tucker. My unwillingness to totally forgive does not change my position as a child of God. It does deeply affect my ability to experience true joy. Let me say that again. My unwillingness to totally forgive somebody doesn't change my position as a son or as a daughter. It does change my ability to experience and tap into the joy of the Lord. We're going to watch a short video before we take communion. This occurred this past week at the trial of a Dallas police officer who killed a young man who was sitting on his couch eating ice, eating ice cream when the police officer came in after a very long shift thinking this was the right appointment and she mistaked him for a burglar. Fellas, the video. Now, somebody that showed honor and respect in a situation that was very shocking and made international headlines happened in Dallas, Texas earlier this week. Yeah, this captured headlines, this trial here where Botham Jean was just, um, he was in his home, minding his own business, eating ice cream, and this police officer, after a long shift, 
Amber Geiger walks into his apartment thinking it's her own, sees him there, thinks he's an intruder, and kills him. And so it's been very emotional this week. She was just sentenced to 10 years in prison. Yeah, and there was a various reactions, but one from the brother of Botham, and it was a brother named Brandt, and he was at the victim impact statement, and he said something very shocking to Amber Geiger. This is going to impact you. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Yes. Okay, this moment gets me every single time. The way she just, ah. Uh, I know. herself into his arms, right? She just needed, she needed that forgiveness. And, you know, I think yeah. um, it's unfortunate, but so rarely as Christians do we act like Christians. You know, God, the Bible talks about forgiving people when it's hard, when they do things to you that totally devastate you, that every, any, everybody's kind to people who are kind. But how do we be kind to the people that we feel have been so unkind, or in this case, took his brother from him? And yet he stood up and he acted in the way that God wants us to do. Forgiveness is so important. What do y'all think about that? Isn't that amazing? Forgiveness sets us free. It actually does us so much good because our heart is not cluttered with poisonous thoughts against others. So I had to ask God to help me forgive in order to forgive. I certainly do not mean or to imply that I'm never angry or resentful, simply that I'm still learning with God's help not to let such thoughts or emotions possess me or dominate my thinking. Corey Tinbloom came up with this amazing quote. Y'all know who Corey Tinbloom is? Okay. She came up with this quote that's based on three scriptures. One is, one is Psalms 103, 12, and it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he, God, removed our transgressions from us. And then there's Micah 7.19, where God says, you will cast all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And then there's Romans 10.17, which says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Here's the quote. God has taken our sins. He's tossed them into the sea of forgetfulness and posted a sign that says, no fishing allowed. When you think about forgiving someone, what I would ask you to do, based on what God has done for us, is to take that, toss it into the sea of forgetfulness, and post a sign, no fishing allowed. Debbie and I have learned that we haven't truly forgiven each other until we don't bring it up anymore. Isn't that true? You haven't really forgiven somebody if you continue to bring it up. Well, I remember back in 2005 when, right? We haven't really forgiven until we post that sign. No fishing allowed. Joe and Becky, would you come up? I want you to go ahead and get your communion elements prepared.
This morning, I want to truly dignify Jesus' broken body and his blood that was shed for us, shed for me. Sometimes we don't want to forgive because we become so familiar with the pain of what they did. God wants us to know. He wants you to know that his son's blood covers all of the pain and it's in the knowledge of what Jesus did for us that we find freedom. Now I want you to listen to this song. Isn't that, isn't that the truth? That's what the blood of Jesus did for us, and it will never lose its power. Now, I'd like you to take your elements. Paul says, since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasure of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. I'd ask you to let the Holy Spirit survey your heart 
And if there is anyone, and I mean anyone, that you have not totally forgiven, I want you to stand up. Totally forgiven. Right now, the Holy Spirit is bringing somebody the picture, the event to your mind, and you haven't totally forgiven them. Here's the next question. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. We haven't totally walked into the forgiveness that God has released to us. And if there's something that you have done, you know, I, I hear about these people that have died and, you know, they, they say that they, they see the screen of everything that they've done. Well, our God's not like that. Our God's not like that. But if there's something that you want to receive God's forgiveness for, then I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. I would be standing in both of these areas. I've already said God is helping me work on forgiveness with the man. It's important that we know that we have the power to release people from their debt. It's important to know that we have been released from every debt. And now for the rest of you to dignify the blood and to honor what God has done in your life, I'd just like you to stand up and we're gonna take communion. When we feel too weak to forgive or pray or bless or do good to those who have hurt us, we remember the, the words that Jesus spoke to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when Paul could no longer deal with the thorn that was in his side. He said, but he answered me. Jesus said, my grace is always more than enough for you and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So Paul says, I will celebrate my weakness for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So as you take these elements today, I want you to recognize that Jesus gave his all so that we could be forgiven and sat in the right place, which is seated next to Jesus. So as we take the bread, I want you to remember that Jesus's body was broken so that all the brokenness in your world could be restored. Let's take the bread. Finally, this cup represents the shed blood of Jesus. 
And because of his blood, as we sing, it's the blood. It's the blood. We're all redeemed because of the blood. Let's take the cup. Father, we just thank you that you did this amazing thing for us and you did it only because you love us. The Bible says that you know the number of hairs on every head. That means that you pay attention to every detail of our life. And Father, we ask today that through your precious Holy Spirit that you would help us to release people that we've held in bondage. Father, and that we would release ourselves if we've held ourselves in bondage. Father, that you would put us around people who would encourage us, who would remind us what you have said about us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we're masterpieces. Father, we just thank you again for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will continue to do in our lives and through our lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that all of the people said, amen, amen. Now, we're going to dismiss. Um, I'd like the prayer teams to come forward because I know that some of us need someone to agree with us when we're walking through something like this. And these people will agree with you and speak life to your situation. And so before you leave, if you need someone to agree with you, remember the Bible says that agreement is the place of power. God made it so easy. He said, if two or more of you agree as touching anything that you shall ask in my name, I will do it. There's two people up here. We've already got this covered. Now, finally, as our final act of worship, I'd like to pray over your finances. Father, we do just say thank you. We thank you that all of your promises are yes and yes. Father, we know that there are people sitting here today that are in need, and you have said, I will supply your need. So Father, we bring our tithes and our offerings into the storehouse so that there will be meat for the people to eat. Father, we just say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for providing what you have provided. Thank you for giving us what we need. Thank you for blessing us with all spiritual blessings. You said that you've already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And for that, we are grateful. And so all of the people said, amen. Now, as we dismiss, Joe and Becky are going to sing that chorus one more time. And if you need prayer, because you need somebody to agree with you. I want you to come up front and let these people pray with you and for you.
Now here's how this also is gonna look in the next week. Don't go away from this service without finding somebody that you need to reconcile with. You've now experienced the power of the blood of Jesus. And you can now go to somebody and you can say, I'm sorry, or I wanna try and work this out. And the way that we do it is not in the flesh, it's in the goodness. It says, put on goodness and tender mercies. Be merciful. So I'm expecting to hear some praise reports next week about some of you having reconciled some relationships because you today made the decision to obey what Jesus has asked you to do. Does everybody agree with that? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Find more of our podcasts on iTunes or in our audio library at thecrossing.cc.